This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Sarah Evers Conrad from Lexington, Kentucky. And you are listening to the monthly Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 23rd, 2021. Good morning, Horse World. The fourth Tuesday of every month is all about your passion for horses. Nurture your knowledge with informative and entertaining interviews brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. We hope you have a fantastic holiday weekend, but we have a show for you before you get to your holidays. And what do we have coming up today, Sarah? On today's show, we will be talking to Horse Illustrated columnist, Dr. Courtney Deal, about her vet adventures, and with Rebecca Dadier from Trafalgar Square Books about a winter reading list. That's terrific. Thank you so much for putting that together. Now, everybody, I just wanted to let you know that next week we're going to be off. That's the reason this show's coming out a little bit early. Uh, we're going to be off. I will have some best of episodes for you next week, but the whole HRN gang always takes the week between Christmas and New Year's off. So we hope you enjoy your holidays. But Sarah, you guys have some things. You, you haven't stopped working over at Horse Illustrated. No, I have a break coming up, so I'm excited for that over the holidays. I get to travel and see family, but we have been uh, working on a special project where we've been working hard on redesigning our Young Rider website, and so it's not quite ready, but it's looking great, and the designer is doing a great job, and I can't wait to launch it. I think the kids will love it, and it's very bright and colorful and happy, and God, they will have lots of our... Young Rider content and more kid more friendly. We, yeah, more yeah. than we have on there now, like activities and things like that. So uh, I will definitely announce when it is out. But um, that is one thing I've been working working with the designer on. Oh, terrific! That sounds like it's fun. Yes, hey. it's a very fun project. I love anything web. So. Very cool. Well, this episode is brought to you by our title sponsor, Straight Arrow Product. The magic in Cowboy Magic comes from the bond between you and your horse. Cowboy Magic celebrates every moment with you, from quiet chats in the pasture to the adrenaline rush of competition. We want to invite you to embrace your magic moment with your horse by sharing your favorite photos with Cowboy Magic on social media by using the hashtag CowboyMagicMoment. So uh, we hope that you all do have a tremendous holiday. I've been so thankful that you showed up this year, Sarah, and are doing this segment. It's been very popular, and you bought some brought, has brought some terrific guests to the show. And I can't wait to plan next year's podcast. And I already have a bunch of interesting guests in mind. So, well, you always bring the best guests. So I'm looking forward to it. Don't disappoint us, Sarah. I won't. I won't. I promise. <laughs> well, let's get to our first guest today. We're going to have some fun today in the show. You know, this show is coming out right before Christmas, so we know you're all you're all traveling to family or hanging out with the horses, and we're just here to entertain and hopefully bring you a fun show for the day and something to take you into your holidays. So why don't you tell us who our first guest is? 
Our first guest is Dr. Courtney Deal, who has been an equine veterinarian since 2000. She completed an internship in Saratoga Springs and a fellowship in critical care and emergency medicine at Hagger Davidson McGee and has owned two mobile equine practices in the Colorado Rocky Mountains over the course of a 21-year practice. Her Vet Adventures column is one of Horse Illustrated's most popular columns. Well, welcome, Dr. Deal. It's so great to have you on the Horse Illustrated podcast, especially since we always have people commenting on how much they love your column. Oh, thank you. That's nice to hear. Well, you've certainly had a lot of wild adventures with your life as a vet, and of course, we've chronicled a lot in the magazine. Um, what's been one of the most memorable things that might stick out in your mind from recently of, you know, your adventures out and about as a vet? Well, I, the stories just keep coming. And <laughs> I, I learned that I can't invent them no matter how hard I try, because there's nothing funnier than real life. And with the mixture of the twists and turns of medicine and the human behavior component, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, I, you know, I get used to people approaching me when I'm out with my daughters and uh, it's very common that I'll be right in the middle of something and somebody will want some vet advice and want me to look at their horse, you know, typically horse shows. I get a lot of that too. Um, and I, <laughs> I had this one lady and I think I wrote a column about it not too long ago that just, you know, subtle hints did not work with her body language didn't work. She just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about everything under the sun except science and medicine and and hey, I'm all for some of the random treatments because we don't we don't always have a study on everything and sometimes we got to try fun stuff and, we, and sometimes the results are spectacular. But in this case, I mean, the flow of words was just nonsensical, bordering on surreal. <laughs> I thought, well. The more outrageous the situation gets with this woman who will not stop talking to me when I'm trying to watch my daughter ride her horse in a show, well, outrageous calls for outrageous. And you guys probably know me well enough to know that I'm more than likely going to rise to the occasion. Uh, so my brain kind of works that way, and it, I can't help it. And I apologize for my brain because it's just a little bit out there sometimes. But um, my daughter had a water bottle with blue Gatorade in it. And don't even ask me how I came up with this silliness, but I, I picked up my horse's foot when they came out of the arena. They'd knocked a pole down and the woman was like, oh, you need to get this curative dental and floating this one tooth is going to make him not knock down rails. And I lifted my horse's foot. I poured some Gatorade into my hand and it was bright blue, you know, like enough to where it stained my daughter's lips blue. And spontaneously thought, all right, iPhone, maybe let's use the iPhone somehow. And I, I found an app that turned my screen red. And I started slowly scanning my phone over this blue foot. And I didn't say a word. And the lady just went, Dr. Deal, what are you doing? And I looked at her and I said, oh, oh, I, I wouldn't ever teach a client this. This is complete nonsense. And it's, it's not proven to do a thing. But uh, And I went on and on about the bioavailability spectrum of the purple and how we can trigger the activation of whatever the hell I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> and she stood there and pulled out her iPhone and looked sadly at it because it was an iPhone 8. And then my daughter chimed in and said, but mom, I think it's, wor it's working because he was really jumping well. 
And I thought, oh, gosh, <laughs> I created a mom here. This is great, Courtney. Um, <laughs> How old is she, by the way? <laughs> oh, she's 12. 12. She ought to know me in this by now because she's been around me long enough. But I had to set that one straight. And I thought, all right, well, that was an unintended consequence. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> Oh, that's great. I'll have to post that story on the website. It's, it's not quite up yet, but I'll make sure that it is up and linked in the show notes so that everybody can read because your writing style and and the humor you add and the details you add in your columns are kind of what draw me in. And like when I read them, I'm, I can just picture you doing this and like we've never met or anything like that, but I can just picture you doing this and or all of the other adventures. And I love all the stories you've had about like your horses and there's been Olaf and Kevin and how, how are all your ponies these days? And what, how many do you have at this point? Oh my gosh, I have too many. I was being very sensible and I had reduced my herd down to two. Um, but then my quarter horse mare, who I had kind of sort of found a good home for with an older lady, she had a death in the family and she called Aww. and said, Sorry, I can't, I can't do this. And so I got Eve back, who's, you know, good as gold. She's the best horse in the world. And uh, now I have a saddlebred mare who's a little rambunctious. She uh, hasn't been worked with much, so she's a handful. But she's pretty, and sometimes I think my 12-year-old girl dominates my decision-making process. But <laughs> I have four. Um, at least two of them are steadily in work. And one of them is earned or keep. And this new one is sort of a, what the heck are you doing here, Dr. Deal? But maybe I'll have some columns about cat coming up in the future. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Do you know what I picture, Sarah? I picture her driving around the mountains there in Colorado, you know, in the snow and the muck and the mire, visiting people's horses. And James Harriet just comes to mind the whole time. I just picture you're as the Colorado version of James Harriet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've written... Aspects of that for sure. <laughs> You've written several books too, and I know you're working on your third. Um, what can you tell us about the first two? Yeah, and the first the first book, there are some humorous moments in there for sure, and you know these are stories worth telling. When I look through the book's content and I try to look at the percentage of you know how much of it was positive and funny and how much of it was kind of grim and dark. Um, I think the positive outweighed the dark by a lot, but there definitely were some struggles, you know, associated with being at that stage in my life and that stage in practice and um, some of the struggles with people. You know, how much of those do we contribute to? Probably most of them, right? There's there's always, you know, misreadings on both sides and when I wrote the book, it was actually cathartic to get some of that out in front of me to really look at it objectively and say, you know, I think I misread that situation a little bit more than I should have. And, and it just sort of put things in perspective for me. So it was a really a good outlet for me. I think my intention behind the book was, yes, to be funny and tell some good stories, but also really tell it like it was and explore some of that dark side of of solo practitioners, you know, maybe in support of some of my colleagues that might be feeling some of the same stuff. And I, I got a lot of feedback from the veterinary community about it and a lot of thank yous, a lot of like, wow, you really told some of the hard stuff and we salute you for it. And I got some pushback from some people that thought I shouldn't have written some of the stuff that I did, but 
I mean, I've got a big mouth. What can I say? It just, if it comes into my head, I'm going to write it. And that's just, you know, that's, that's my world. That's how it goes. Well, I've, yeah, I've found writing can kind of, when you write down a situation, can give you a new perspective. So, um, so what's the third book going to be on? Well, the third book, honestly, I started it off with a, a vet school theme to try to tell some of the stories of what it was like to be a vet student. Um, a lot of people don't know that I went to vet school in the Caribbean. I went to Ross University. Oh, and... so did one of my friends. Yeah, and I'll I have had to compare a, notes I later. Yeah, time. And let me tell you, academically, they kick your butt because they want you to get to the states and not only survive but dominate. So they really push you hard, or at least when I was in school with them, they did. So when we got to America, we do we do our senior year at a a school in America, and you don't get to pick; it's sort of a, a lottery. And I ended up at Minnesota. So going from the Caribbean climate to the Minnesota (laughs) climate, to need I say more, (laughs) you have my respect because I know how freaking cold it is. First you had to buy a coat. There was that. (laughs) There was that. Yeah. Yeah, Dig out all my gear from storage. Couldn't go to school in a bikini Uh, anymore. That was out. (laughs) (laughs) My lovely tan faded away to nothing. Terrible. (laughs) Well, it prepped you for Colorado because, you know, it gets, it's, well, the weather's kind of crazy there. It's, it can be nice, and then it goes cold, and yeah, so. It I got a crazy one. With Colorado, I came full circle, because before I went to vet school, I worked for Vail as a snowcat operator. So I did that. Oh, for there you go. Yep, and I was a ski instructor, and so coming back here to start my first practice was like coming home, and it was a, it was a blessing to be able to do that. Do you see stuff on your calls in Colorado that, in the mountains, let's just say mountains, because... You know, that's where you are. But do you see stuff there that you wouldn't have seen any, that you don't see if you're in the flatlands? Um, I mean, there's probably situations with with hunters and high country related accidents. Um, I'm mm. sure that, you know, there's low country accidents too. I'm not trying to diminish those. But, you know, when you have an extreme climate and you're up at 14,000 feet trying to deal with a horse emergency, I think yeah. that's pretty unique to the Rockies. Um, we do see altitude sickness up here, um, pulmonary edema when they get some fluid in their lungs and they're laboring to breathe. Um, so some of that is definitely a possibility. Do they act the oh. same way with, uh, with you know, with with uh, height sickness? Do they act the same way as humans? They absolutely can. Okay. And oh, that's you're... awful. <laughs> I, I had that last time I was in Colorado trying to go up in uh-huh. the mountains. And no, my heart started, started racing and... Like, we couldn't go up, but so high, we kind of had to pull over and had to chill, and all I was doing was sitting in a car, and it was oh, just a weird, weird effect, so. Scary. Yeah, but I used to hike in Colorado when I lived there for a summer, and, and had to get used to, and then you'd think you'd gone the farthest, like a super long hike, and you find out, oh, it's only a mile, and I'm like, what? So. Yeah, it feels like it's three times as long. Well, and the other reason I came back here and wrote the book was to celebrate George Platt a little bit, because George, Dr. Platt was my mentor and dear friend, and he had been in practice, I think, over 50 years when he finally passed away in 2011. And old George was a Texan, and man, he told it like it was. Like, my first week working with him, 
he looked at me. I was bragging about something I'd treated with my brilliant, you know, drug combination. And George looked at me and he goes, that horse got well in spite of you, not because of you. <laughs> okay. And I went, oh, talk about deflation. <laughs> Suddenly, James Harriet's coming went, back in my mind now. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he went on to say, you're not a vet until you've been in practice for 10 years. Because by then, you'll have seen the same thing come around in most of the variations that you're likely to see it in. And I think about that advice every day because it's so true. I mean, you can have the most basic case of a cold in a horse and your brain is like, okay, it could go this way, this way, that way, or this way. And you're, you're more prepared for the different directions that weird med- medical cases can go. Um, so he was just, yeah. So in the book, I really tried to capture George's words and his phrases and his personality. He offended the heck out of some people. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you didn't know how to take him, but a lot of my my funny stories came from George. Because if there was ever a man that loved to laugh at himself, it was Platt. Oh my goodness! I wish you guys could have met him. Oh well, are you um, prepared for the holidays? You know, every time a holiday, I can kind of picture like all your clients' um, horses are just kind of waiting to get sick, and they're going to just <laughs> wait until the holiday when you want time off, and then. You'll get tons of calls. Does that usually happen? It often will. And and normally it's at the most precious moment of your day. Um, I got, I think my last emergency on Christmas day was a big laceration on a hamstring and a horse that would kick an eye out of a fly. And oh my goodness, explain to me how in the heck you're going to try to stitch that up. Um, oh, that, no. the, skin, the skin on that back leg is thick and trying to get it numb with lidocaine is not reliable. Plus you have to poke them with the lidocaine to get them numb. So they won't feel the poke. See the catch 22. Um, so feet were flying. It was a disaster. I managed to lace it together as best I could only to have it fall apart a week later. And George said, well, that'll teach you. He goes, next time, don't stitch it up, give him a hose and some antibiotics and it'll heal just fine. And I think about that one a lot too, because we just want to go to the max and do everything and, Sometimes it's better to just give them an environment to heal in and not try to intervene too much. With the holidays, you know, a few days away, do you have any favorite like holiday memories? We've been asking this of all our our guests. Do you have any favorite holiday memories or special ways you might celebrate with your girls and your family and your horses that kind of tie them in with the holiday? Oh, are you kidding? That's <laughs> the right person that question. How would Dr. Deal celebrate the holidays? Well, ugly Christmas sweaters come to mind and horses with weird hats on. So you <laughs> Christmas card from last year. I mean, it's bad. Like, it's so freaking loud with all the, the different sweaters and the horses, I think, had a great time. And we had hot spice cider and took pictures. And it was, I think, 10 degrees below zero. And then my soon-to-be teenage daughter decided that she was going to take some uh, portraits with her horse. And next thing I know, that girl is in a spaghetti-strapped tank top in minus 10 weather, posing with her horse and trying not to shiver herself into the ground. And we got pictures of her, but that just tells you how crazy my child is. So, oh, that's dude, so good. And she's getting to the age where you're going to be the the so embarrassing mom. 
She is not going to want to have you around. You're she's just getting to that age too, and you especially are going to be like, she will not have to have any. Mom, you cannot come. You just can't come. I'm sorry. Well, or she'll say, Mom, if you do come, you can't talk. Yeah, that's no. right. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you. I will ignore you. you. Might be easier with my ten-year-old, I'm sure. Oh, man. Well, and don't you feel like as you get older, I feel like my filter is just. If I ever had one, which is... Oh, wait till you get to my age. Wait till you get to 60. Your filter pretty much starts going out the window. It's just... Well, it already... That ship already sailed. So my kids are just like, Mom will just say anything (laughs) and then suffer the consequences later. And it's true. That is exactly what I do. And I, I try to moderate, like, let's think this through. But yeah, it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah, but we're the fun ones at the party, Dr. Deal. Well, we sure are. That's you right. never know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Those of us who talk for a living. That's right. Good at it. That's right. <laughs> Either that or they're just so sick of us and they want us gone, but, you know, they just don't tell us. It's one of the well, two. And I think the problem is, is that sometimes people just don't think my stories are as highly entertaining as I do. <laughs> That's true, too. And you have to learn to watch the, the level of, like polite boredom or will she shut up already expressions <laughs> and then you're like oh maybe i'm going a little overboard here okay rein it in yeah but you're <laughs> at an know. advantage they have to listen to you you're there you're there to see their horse you're not leaving till you're done with their horse right so you got a captive audience they have to put up with you <laughs> yeah so it's we- like how do we get rid of this bag exactly. <laughs> 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 See, with me, they have a choice. They can hit stop, right, on the player. All they have to do is hit stop and go to listen yeah. to a different show. With you, they're forced to put up with you. So. <laughs> I'm on their property. <laughs> That's right. Oh, dear. Well, maybe I chose a career that suited me just perfectly. There, I'm just, um, I think you did. <laughs> what made you get into vet medicine? Like, what, what was the, the inspiration for it? Way back when. Yeah. Apparently, the beaches in the Caribbean is really good. That didn't hurt. So prepare for the biggest cliche you're probably ever going to hear when you talk to a vet. Most of us are going to say James Harriet. So, circling back to the beginning of this podcast, yep. that's exactly it. I read it really wow. when I was when I was 11. My mom gave them all to me, and uh, I was just captivated. I, I wanted to be him. Like I wanted to go to the same part of the world that he was in. And um, I never stopped to think, you know, I don't think a female vet in 1940s, 1950s England would have worked out so well, but (laughs) you know, there's a lot of stories. And I just, the the whole idea of being a writer and, and, and having these stories happening live around you and then being able to capture them in words and being able to share them. It, it, to me, writing is, it's therapeutic, but it's also like, it's like a gift that you want to give to somebody because you want them to see and feel and taste that story. Um, and those of us that are storytellers, well, we don't mind embellishing a little bit here and there. We might exaggerate slightly, or we might add in a, a detail that could have happened in a different story. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. It's the first rule of of radio. (laughs) That was a platism, too. (laughs) His other favorite expression was, what is it about a lame horse that you like? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Well, he'd he'd do a pre-purchase and fail the horse miserably because it was crippled, and the person would buy it anyway. And George would just put his arm around that person and say, what is it about a lame horse that you like? <laughs> Somehow that hey. one never got through. 
Wouldn't that be job security? You would think, but oh man, beware oh, the, the, the endlessly lame horse that the dumb vet can't figure out mm. because that will get you fired faster than any scenario in veterinary medicine. When little carrot cruncher just won't get that lead change right or has that little head bob and you have blocked him and you've x-rayed him and you've had an ultrasound and you still just aren't getting to the bottom of it, bring in the witchcraft and exit science and it just goes to the heck in the handbasket pretty quickly. Well, so that is my least favorite scenario. You know, it's interesting, too, because you're writing, and James, go back to James Harris. And the reason that's on my mind is we've been listening to the audiobooks again. We've been listening to all the books again. So that's why James Harris was on my brain. <clears throat> but it's all, his books and your writing are about the people, really. They're not about the animals. It's, it's all about the people. And and it's true of everything we do, right? It's it, yeah, the animals involved, but it always comes back to the people. Well, it's true because everything that's unfolding is happening through the lens of the owner, um, and it's the owner's understanding and cooperation that the vet has to secure, or lack of it, at your horrible health. Not that that would ever happen. No. Never heard of such a thing. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the humans, I always used to say, and I still do, the medicine is the easy part for me. It's the navigating the human climate and sets of emotions um, that I, I find difficult sometimes. Sometimes it's easy, you know, but there there are personality types that I feel like I just cannot either connect with or read accurately or my mannerisms annoy them, and it's just sort of this ching ching this rebounding effect of negativity that doesn't work. So, or you know, you've got I've just a totally worried owner that isn't quite themselves, and like I know when I had to worry about my horse when she had laminitis, and like I just felt all out of sorts because sense of humor goes out the window. Then Doctor Deal, for some reason, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, like, so. And in those circumstances, you know, we've got to just come into the equation with extra doses of grace and patience. um, Because people, yeah, they're not at their best. And understandably, when they're really concerned or they know their animal is is close to to, to dying. And that's a tough one to navigate, too. And like, like every scenario, some humans... And everybody handles it differently, is what I'm trying to say. And you got to leave room for all possible outcomes and human emotion there. And it's a tough one, for sure. All right, I have one final question for you. What's the call that you get that you go, yes? <laughs> oh, um, the horse that is lame and the farrier was out within the last seven days and it's rained a little bit and there's some mud in the field. Because when I get that call, I'm like, it's a foot abscess, and I'm going to be a genius because I'll be able to diagnose it and fix it in the same visit. Yay! (laughs) Everyone's convinced it's in the shoulders. So the calls that I always get is, Dr. Beals, very lame, and it's his shoulder. I can tell by the way he's moving. And I go out and throw a nerve block in the foot, and the horse walks off sound. So that, you know, when you numb out a portion of the leg and the pain is gone, now you know where the pain is coming from, right? It's a diagnostic tool. But George had the client, he blocked out the foot, the horse walked off sound as could be. And then the client said, well, what about the shoulder? What are you going to do about that? 
And George said, I'm not going to do anything about the shoulder. And she said, well, that's what my trainer said. That's where the lameness was coming from. And George went, you know, I got a colic. I got to go. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I've learned as a horse husband all these years, and that's all I am as a horse husband, but I've always learned that the first thing my wife says is it's probably an abscess. And 90% of the time, when when that kind of situation came up, it was an abscess. <laughs> Good for Jen. <laughs> yeah, it's probably an abscess, and, and we need to figure that out. Once we figure that out, then the horse is going to be sound. Exactly. Yeah. But there are things that worry owners more than, well, and, and they can look like their leg is broken with an abscess. They, they can. can. really paint. Wow. I own draft you know, horses. They- I know all about abscesses. <laughs> they were, yeah. Oh, geez. They were the worst. Ooh. Well, isn't it either an abscess or ulcers? It's one of the two. So, Or ki- kissing spine. Don't forget that. One. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. But that's yeah, fairly yeah, new, important. though. That's really come into popularity in the last couple of years. <laughs> well, it has. But don't forget EPM and Lyme disease. Oh, sure those yeah. Well, Lyme <laughs> is true. I have, I have chronic Lyme, so I'm kind of – I'm in the Lyme camp. And you guys have Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Add that one to the list. So. Yeah, that one's not – either um lime yeah lime is the thing i'm not trying to downplay. no i'm not either but (laughs) but it's certainly i'm not downplaying ulcers either we're just having fun people it's we're just having (laughs) that's right by the way send all your complaints to jennifer at horseradionetwork.com she handles all complaints (laughs) so (laughs) well george used to say he'd hang a dartboard in his office with all the popular diagnoses on it and he'd throw a dart at it to see what the horse had that day (laughs) (laughs) i love that you should bring it along in calls, hang it on the side yeah. of the truck and say, have the person throw it. Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. That lighten the mood there. Yeah. Can, can you video that the first time you do it and see how that goes? I want to see that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Where can people find out about all your, buy your books and all that stuff? Well, I still have my website up. Um, and granted, I haven't updated it in a long time, but it is live. You know, I do have a actually a website operator who I can contact and keep new updates coming. Well, what's the website Um, called? (laughs) Let's start there. It's well, it's what a good question. I think it's mountainvet.net and mountainequine.net. It's mountainvet.net. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Yep. And there's a little blurb on my books and some of my writings. I think we put a little thing about the horse illustrated columns on there too. And uh, people always want to know if they can buy a book, you know, like the best of Dr. Deal's columns or something like that. And I think we talked about that with HI a few years back, but we never really went anywhere with it. So we'll leave that open, too, as an option. (laughs) Well, we are so thankful that you do write for us and share all your wit and your humor and levity of all the various situations you're in. So thank you very much. And thank you for joining us on here. Well, and thank you guys. And thanks to all the people that like my columns. I try to keep a, you know, somewhat humble tone. Sometimes I might succeed and sometimes I might not. And if my columns offend you, then definitely complain to these guys. Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. <laughs> She'll handle your complaints. Glenn's <laughs> not getting any Christmas now. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Deal. <laughs> You're welcome. It was good to talk to you guys. With Cowboy Magic's Green Spot Remover, you can do more of what you love and spend less time in the wash stall. Cut bath time in half with this waterless shampoo for a quick grooming solution while saving water at your barn. 
This easy-to-use sprayer bottle is the perfect tool when looking for a quick clean before the show or before a leisurely ride. Green Spot Remover is a plant-based, waterless formula that is safe to use on all coats, not just for grays. The natural enzymes will remove manure and urine spots without drying out the skin and coat. The best part? It only takes a few easy steps to use. Learn more about how to use and where to purchase at CowboyMagic.com. In addition, uh, we also have a special subscription offer from Horse Illustrated for podcast listeners. So... Anyone that would like to have special rates uh, on Horse Illustrated magazine, either in print, digital, or a combo subscription for both of those options. Or if you'd like to get our sister publication for a special kid in your life, we offer special rights on Young Rider magazine, which is the horse magazine for tweens and teens ages 8 to 15. So check out our website at horseillustrated.com slash hrn for that special deal. So it's horseillustrated.com slash HRN. So who's coming up next? Our next guest is Rebecca Didier, who has worked for Trafalgar Square Books, the leading publisher of equestrian books and videos for 19 years. She currently serves as both managing editor and graphic designer, and her role in the small company spans acquisitions, editorial design, and marketing. She has worked with top writers, trainers, and equine experts from around the globe to bring their books to print. Well, welcome to the show, Rebecca. It's so great to have you on. This is awesome, Sarah. I'm psyched to be here with you and with Glenn. And uh, yeah, let's talk a little pre-Christmas horsey cheer. Well, we have loved working with Trafalgar this year, and we've published several excerpts in Horse Illustrated this year and it's it's so great that we get to kind of help you all promote all the wonderful books because you know it, if there's something else I love other than horses it's books um, and there's never enough time for all of them so um, no. <laughs> do you have any favorite ones you're reading like right now or that you're working on through Trafalgar oh gosh you know that's always the toughest question because I've told people this before that it's like every bit of our heart and soul goes into every book that we publish. So, you know, your favorite book to some degree is always the one that you just did or the one that you're working on now. And you want all of them to kind of succeed for their, the author's good and for their dreams to come true, get the book into as many people's hands as possible. But um, we just published a book called Land of the Horses by a, a main horseman named Chris Lombard which was a really unusual one for us because it it was self-published a number of years ago. And then he decided that he wanted to try again and sent it to us. And we decided it was good enough to republish and try to cast a wider net. And it was that special. Um, Martha, our managing director, and I both just read it and fell in love with it. And so we're getting it back out there. So that's one that I feel particularly strongly about right now. Um, a real positive message about uh, you know, being with horses and finding your way when you feel lost as a, as a person and how horses can help guide you. Oh, that's great. That sounds like a great message. Um, yeah. So if you were to make recommendations for like a, a winter reading list, since this is kind of like the time when people get time off from work and maybe get some downtime and what, what books would you put on your winter reading list? 
so the cool thing about what we're doing now, you know, Trafalgar made its name doing practical how-to instructional books. Um, we've been doing that for 37 years now. But um, part of what I really love to do is to work more on memoir and biography. So we've been doing more and more of that. And we just um, published a, a bunch of new, really good memoir and biography. So Land of the Horses is one of them, the book that I just mentioned. Um, and then we interestingly published two Ride Across America books um, in two different seasons. One is called Distant Skies, and it's by a woman named Melissa Chapman. And she rode across from the East Coast to the West Coast in 1982. And she tells her story in a really lovely and intriguing way, really focusing on, um, you know, the people she met along the way and the kind of support system that came out of nowhere and the, and the good in America. So that's like a really heartwarming, um, you know, and good feeling story for right now when we all want to feel what, what binds us. And oh, by the way, I read that book. You sent that to oh. me and I read that when we were camping and, uh, she just, you know, we've, we've interviewed many people that have rode across the country. Uh, in yeah. the years we've been doing this, but she, it was a whole different perspective to read her book because of the time she did it, when she did it. Uh, right. You know, it was before, I, before all this modern stuff. <laughs> so Yeah. And, and as a young woman to do that, I mean, we forget now how, what that would have been like, how the kind of bravery you would actually have to employ to set off on your own with just a horse and a dog and at, no cell at phone, 20 years no old. Cell- yeah, you know. I cannot imagine. Like, uh, you, and no, no real plan because you had to just go by. She didn't really have a map. She just asked where no. the. She asked people from point to point how to get there. It was bizarre. It. I was scared yeah. for her at times, especially in the mountains. You know, where some oh, of those mountain sure. stories. <laughs> Jeez. Wow, I need and to read that yeah. one. <laughs> you <laughs> really, good. you really do, and it's so funny because Glenn, I know you recently had the next. The next book, the author of the next book, you recently had him on, Justin McNeil. Oh, I could have talked to him all day. So this guy's a totally different story. So he did this not that long ago. Like, I think it was like 2006. This book is called On the Hoof, Pacific to Atlantic, a 3,800-mile adventure. He had never ridden a horse before. Oh, my gosh. Decided he was going to ride a horse across the country, and he did it the opposite direction, from the Pacific to the Atlantic. And he's an adventurer, so he's crossed... The, the North America, I think, four or five times. Oh, he's done the different. most bizarre things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. He's crazy. Oh, yeah. Flat out crazy. Well, Jamie had a little, Jamie was appalled almost at, you know, you did what? I mean, it was <laughs> He played along. He was a good sport. I got to give him that. He absolutely was. And, and when we first received submission, you know, we had a little bit of that too, because, you know, our motto is for the good of the horse. Everything we publish we try to make sure that we're putting things in print that are going to improve horse, horse welfare and the people who work with them and their connection. And he blatantly was, and admittedly, didn't know anything about horses when he set off to, to, to have this adventure. And as horse people, we were, we were like Jamie, I think, like, oh, my gosh, not good for the horse, not good for the person. But ultimately, the story tells you what he learned along the way and how much he learned about what horses are in our lives. And he really grew as a human being <laughs> from one now, side of the country to the other. Did he ride after that? Like, or was that? Yeah, his... so he, 
No, he still has Pepper. Um, that was just one of the questions we asked him, too. She is currently, um, he spends most of his time on Orca Island off um, the coast of Washington State. And um, I've been there. She, yeah, she she lives in a really beautiful spot there, um, and he posts pictures of her. I, he, I don't think he rides as regularly as he did during that adventure, but right. <laughs> still in his life. I would lo- I, I would yeah. love to spend more time with him because you know just to hear his other stories. Um, oh gosh, yeah. you, you know he's done some wild stuff. <laughs> so, well, and funny. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say <laughs> one of our best guests on. Um, I think was Daniel Stewart, and you all published yeah. his book. And oh my gosh, that is the prettiest book. And I've been reading it with my son, and just for some of the advice, the life advice, and it's just yeah. So yeah. that. Yeah, I've really been enjoying. So, and that's, that's good. the bolder, braver, brighter that that we interviewed Daniel a few months ago. I think that was September or episode. Yeah. So, you know, Daniel's the master of bringing positivity. So, whenever you feel you need a light to show up, bring Daniel. Yeah, he <laughs> is. Make you feel better about the world. And he's that way in person. Think. He's not just you know some people you meet and they do have this persona, but he's just that way. <laughs> just, yeah, 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 absolutely. There's nothing fake about it. No, him. totally built in. <laughs> that and his white his white jeans. He never wears anything but white jeans, and they're clean. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> There's no seasonal rules that appeal to apply to him. <laughs> so um, yeah, so those are those are my uh, first three books, and then the other two are the the. the recent um, autobiographies we've published. You've had Robert Dover on um, the dressage in the morning show. He just published, we just published his The Gates to Brilliance, which is a pretty incredible book where he talks a lot about his life um, and the, the different adventures that he's had and the horses that have been in his life and the things that they taught him. And he has a really distinctive voice. So, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a real, he's got great humor and he's, he's totally willing to be self-deprecating. So I appreciate that in a person. Um, and then we, we, we did Jimmy Wofford's book earlier this year, Still Horse Crazy After All These Years. So that's the eventing perspective and it's much more of historical reflection for those who kind of want to geek out and really get to the nitty gritty of the sport and, and the development of different organizations in the country. Um, so such a great span of perspectives. Um, but all what I would classify from our perspective, light reading, because it's not how to or um, anything to do with veterinary care or anything like that. You can put your feet up by the fire and read these books. Oh, that's great. Uh, Well, you must, what are your favorite things to do there at Trafalgar? Because, I mean, I know you do a lot there. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's only, I mean, most people don't know, but there's only seven of us. Um, And cool fact, we're all, we're all women, so it's women-owned and run. Um, that wasn't intentional. It just kind of happened. Um, and so we all have to wear many hats. And um, so I, you know, my responsibilities span all the different departments. And once somebody is kind of involved with us, we never really let go. <laughs> you're, you're in my group as much as you're in Martha. You're in so forever. You sign a lifetime contract. <laughs> It's not in blood, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, not yet. Um, so, um, I, but I really, you know, I, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a novelist. That's what I kind of aspired to be. So editing is definitely kind of where my real passion lies. Um, but early on, um, I kind of grew tired telling designers how to do their job um, and telling them how I wanted our covers to look. So while I was pregnant, I went to night school and, um, 
got a certificate in graphic design and I've published, I have designed all of our covers since then. Um, and I really enjoy that process too. They're, you know, really kind of contributing to the, uh, the complete look of the book as well as, um, you know, the, the guts inside the internal part. So a lot of me invested in every single one of them. <laughs> That's neat. I I totally get that because, you know, each issue of the magazine that we put out, it it feels like it's it's just so personal when you produce something like that. So I totally get that. And it never gets old. And I'm sure, Glenn, you feel the same way. Um, Sarah, you still think when you look at a magazine that just came out and Glenn, every time you have a podcast, I know that you have thousands of them now, but there's that just feeling of I did something. I did something that's not hurting, hurting anybody. It's maybe helping somebody. And that feels good. If we get done with the show in the morning and we say, I think we may helped somebody laugh today, then we're good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Everybody needs one of those. Yeah, that's just how we feel. We feel, you know, our job is to entertain. It's to help somebody laugh today. If they can laugh and we help an hour be better in their day when they might be having an otherwise miserable day, then we've done our job. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you in a way, are doing that. You're just taking them away from that for a couple of hours, right? You're you're taking them out of where they are and whatever their situation is now, good or bad, right? You're you're providing them an out, an escape. That's what books are. They're really an escape for a couple of hours a day or however long people read. Yeah, they are. And you know, even if it's it, it can be a direct escape like distant skies or on the hoof where you're actually involved in somebody's adventure. But then, you know, there's also the escape when you're reading one of the other books, you know, where it's teaching you the, the vagaries of equitation or uh, a, a training technique and you're really getting your head into it because then you can kind of disappear for a while into the world of, of education and learning. And that feels good too, especially as we get older and we no longer have those opportunities all the time, you know. At least in my opinion, but I'm I'm a little bit of a nerd that way. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> you're so the I'm right really job. Cu- <laughs> I'm really curious how you all get all the like ideas for the titles. I mean, I'm sure writers pitch, but do you all come up with ideas too, or how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so most often, authors do come with some what we'd call a working title, um, and sometimes that's pretty darn close. And we, we, you know, we know that it'll work. It'll work for the market. We can use it. We can sell it. We could, it tells what the story is kind of about. And then other times, um, the working title that comes on a submission is just like, oh, man, <laughs> that's not going to work or that's going to scare them away or, you know, there'll be some other reaction where we just know, okay, so we're going to have to try to steer the ship into, you know, brighter waters. Um, not, we never make the decisions on our own. It's always you know, in combination with our authors. Um, there's no like secret room where, where we make choices that they're not involved in. Um, we usually will, will broach the subject gently and, and, uh, I usually come up with a list. Um, first I, so I, I generate the, the kind of the creative flow, a whole bunch of different ideas. And then that goes to Martha, our managing director and Carolyn Robbins, our publisher. And the three of us talk about those what we think works, what doesn't work, what's getting close. And then we'll usually loop it. We'll, we'll narrow that down to a couple of different options and we'll loop in the author and then work with the author to get, to get it right. And that includes also the subtitles or reading lines. Um, you know, words are really important. 
there's a lot of books out there, <clears throat> excuse me, and you, you, you got to set yourself apart. You also you have to stand out, but you also can't be so, you know, vague or abstract that people don't get it. That right. usually doesn't work. So it, it, from some of the pictures I've seen that you, you sent us, um, it looks like you've had some riding adventures, like related with your job or, you know, meeting some of the authors. Can you tell me about like one of those? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's been a bunch of firsts that have happened for me. Um, I was just, a, you know, the, I have the typical horse girl story. I grew up mostly in Vermont. Um, my parents didn't have a lot of money and my first lessons were because I worked in a barn and mucked stalls, not because we had the money to pay for them. So I had a lot of, I was a voracious reader, so I had a lot of ideas about what was out there in the world and the things that I wanted to do, but I didn't necessarily have the opportunities to do them. Well, you know, fast forward however many years, and I'm working at Trafalgar. Um, I was an inventor when I was a kid. That's part of what I what I did um, in Vermont in the area that I was. It was very much the sport. Um, and one of the things that I got to do with Trafalgar was go to my first, it was then called Rolex. Yes, <laughs> at the yes. Park. <laughs> um, so uh, actually getting to go and see some of my idols and see those jumps in person and do the course walk, um, I, I was blown away by that experience. Um, that, was, that only happened because I was then working at Trafalgar. Um, and then another one, another place that I'd, I'd always held really high um, and as a goal to get there one day was Gladstone. Um, I'd oh, never, nice. you know, I, I'd read about it and I'd seen pictures. And one day I was going to ride on the ESET team, of course, because that's what little girls think they're going to do. And I finally got to go. Um, at one point, uh, it, we, we went to the, the U.S. Dressage Championships and, um, again, through Trafalgar and because we were doing business while we were there. Um, so that was a really cool opportunity. Um, and then, you know, getting the chance to have an excuse to, to uh, organize a lesson with um, an author. Um, I've, I've written with a couple of our authors, um, and that's always really interesting because then I get to actually put what they're teaching and what I'm seeing in their books into practice, and that's a different exercise and probably really good for me from an editor's perspective. Um, I've worked with a bunch of our authors in terms of like the groundwork that they teach. Um, that's been extremely educational and helpful when it comes to then molding their words on the page. Um, and then, you know, then I have cool experiences. Like I have one author, Sean Patrick, he has a Harley and he lets me ride it when I'm there. So I get to ride. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so some authors, some authors give me, you know, bigger treats than others. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, um, since this is coming out right before the holidays, do you have any favorite horsey holiday memories or special ways you've uh, celebrated the holidays with horses involved? Yeah, so this memory is going to, you know, probably age me because I don't think brand mashes are in fashion anymore. But when I was little and had my own horses, um, there, it was always the rule in my house that the horses ate before I did, obviously. So I'd get up and I'd go and feed. But on Christmas morning, before any presents were opened or anything else happened, I would I would heat the water and cut up the carrots and make them bran mashes. And that was like the only time of the year that I, unless there was some medical reason to do it, that I would do it. And I would carry these. The barn was quite a ways down the driveway away from my house. So I would, through usually the snowy 
cold morning, carry these steaming buckets of bran mash, and then you'd open the barn doors and they would nicker. And that's just a huge Christmas memory for me because it was, it was, it was such a tradition. Um, and I did it probably for easily at least 10 or 12 years before I, I sold my horses and went to college. That's a nice holiday tradition. I like that. <laughs> so, I'm sure your horses yeah. liked it as well. I think they did. And then they were disappointed <laughs> the next day. <laughs> it's like back to reality. <laughs> well, why don't we share the, you can tell everyone what the website address is for Trafalgar Square Books. And hopefully everybody will go check out the winter reading list suggestions we've made. Yeah, please do. Please come. We've got some great new books coming in. Um, as well as ones I mentioned, we're at horseandriderbooks.com. I know it's confusing. We're Trafalgar Square Books, but our website is horseandriderbooks.com. Um, Let's face it. Nobody can spell Trafalgar. I can't even <laughs> after all these years. That's why you yeah, you were right. wise to pick horse and rider books because nobody was going to spell it. So. Well, and that's, that's very easy to remember. So yeah. I like that. <laughs> The and we will definitely are- link to the the articles that we've done excerpts from on the website in the show notes cool. so that, you know, everybody can see those and kind of go back and see some of the older books as well. So, And Rebecca, say your last name for us. Didier. You got it right, oh. Sarah. You were right on. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I was off. Do you, wait, maybe a little. Didier, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like French. Yeah, you said Didier. That's bit. right, you did. Yeah. Okay, so I was, I was, I was sure that I've been saying it wrong all these years. So, <laughs> now you know what? I it's totally cool, whatever way, as long as people go to our website. <laughs> <laughs> if you notice, when I introduce you anytime, I never say your last name. See, that's I just say Rebecca from <laughs> Trafalgar Square, and now I'm good. Well, that's. That's the trick. That's how that's how I get around it when I don't remember somebody's first name either. But there you go. So tonight you're just gonna be Rebecca, by the way. So just let you know. <laughs> that's totally okay. Everybody knows who I am. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, you Rebecca. So much. Yeah, that was awesome. Great to talk to you both of you. Happy holidays. Well, we'd like to thank our title sponsor, the Straight Arrow family of brands, makers of mane and tail, cowboy magic, and exhibitors with over one hundred years of grooming excellence. For more information about your favorite products, please visit straightarrowinc.com and find their products at a tack shop near you. And then Horse Illustrated can be found at horseillustrated.com and all of our podcasts can be found at horseillustrated.com slash podcast. And you can find links to today's guests in the show notes, horsesinthemorning.com, right there on your podcast player or at horseillustrated.com slash podcast. And you can also follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search Horses in the Morning. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows. There's about 21 of them now with you wherever you go. You can just get our free app. Just go over to the iPhone or Android app store and search for Horse Radio Network, and you'll find it there. Well, that's it, everybody. Have a very happy holidays and a very merry new year. Did I get that backwards? Have a very merry Christmas and a happy new year, everybody. (laughs) Merry Christmas and a happy new year and happy reading and writing. 